Good morning, good morning. Oh, let's try that again. Good morning. How's everybody feeling today? You feeling good? How many of you glad to be in church? You're thankful to be in church today. Let's thank that worship team real quick. Let's give them a hand. And um, how many of you enjoyed that video coming out of communion? That was a father and a son named Eni and Kanan, and they're from Nigeria. And uh, they posted that video, and we called them and asked them if we could show it in church. And they agreed, and they were watching this weekend from Nigeria. And so, so we need to thank the Lord for those two. How many of you know that God is here today? God's here today. He's here. Amen. Everybody say next weekend. Next weekend when you come to church, we're going to hand out these t-shirts that you were supposed to get uh, before the pandemic hit. So uh, they'll be out in the front on racks according to size. So you just go by and see what size that uh, you normally wear and just grab it. All right. And uh, so it says a decade of destiny. It's good for another nine years. And um, there's some lettering in there. Of course, it forms a cross, if you can see that. And that lettering is the purpose statement for our church. And it says on there over and over again, uh, to lift up Jesus that the world might believe. To lift up Jesus that the world might believe. And you can find, uh, you can find that little phrase uh, in a verse in John chapter 3. And on the back, it has the name of the church, Shepherd Church. So make sure when you wear that, you're acting good. Amen, amen, amen. So uh, you'll get that next week. Now everybody say last weekend. Last weekend, uh, if you were here, we introduced the theme for 2021. And the theme for the entire year is going to be abundant joy in Christ. And it comes from that Bible verse in 1 Peter 1.8 that says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him this very moment, you believe in him. And the idea is that because you love him and because you believe in him, you are filled with what the Bible calls an inexpressible and glorious joy. There's something about a true believer that God places a joy inside of you that is beyond description. The rest of the world is drowning in despair. But you as a believer have this calm, this assurance, this peace, this joy that is inexpressible. It's difficult to even explain, but you know you have it and you know it comes from God. In your bulletin, we put a list of all the sermons for the coming year. I did not get to pre-approve that. It's not very legible. And so next week as you come, we'll have a little better copy for you in there. Can someone say amen? But you can read through that and uh, get you a magnifying glass. You can read all that. Uh, but I want to encourage you to be here each and every week. And today we start the first series. We've got 10 different series, all, all dealing with some form of joy. But today we start this series called Invincible Joy. The logo uh, for this series is on the front of your bulletin. Now, uh, uh, invincible joy is different than inexpressible joy. Inexpressible joy is joy that is beyond description. 
Invincible joy is a joy that cannot be defeated. And we're going to see that over the course of these next few weeks. Oh, it's easy to be happy and joyful when the storms are calm. But it's difficult to be joyful when the seas are rough and the budget is tight and the bills are high and your health turns bad and culture is upside down and the country is divided and relationships go sour and your boss is unreasonable. But biblical joy, true joy, is not based on circumstances. It's based on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Difficult circumstances are inevitable, but joy is invincible. I want you to take your Bibles today and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. You're going to need your Bibles today. And uh, there's a story in there in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 6. Those two chapters together, it's a very lengthy and complicated story. It all runs together. I suppose it would take us about a two-hour Bible study, just sitting down with our Bibles to study those two chapters. Well, we certainly don't have that time here this morning to look at it in detail, but in this story, there are some critical and pertinent truths. When studied, you will discover that true worship is synonymous with true joy. I want to explain that to you today. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, after a long and terrible feud with Saul, David finally becomes the king over Israel, fulfilling God's role and plan for his life. When you look at chapter 5, what we see is that David conquers Jerusalem, and he makes Jerusalem the capital city for the nation of Israel. This took place about a 1,000 years before Christ. So this story we're looking at took place about 3,000 years ago. David conquers Jerusalem. He makes it the capital city of Jerusalem. And then in chapter 5, David defeats the Philistines, which were the enemies of God, with an enormous military victory. And if you read chapter 5, everything's going great for David. I mean, it's all sunshine and roses in chapter 5. And so it makes sense when you come to chapter 6 that David decides to have a grand celebration. And central to the celebration is the act of moving the Ark of the Covenant back to the new city, the, the capital city, Jerusalem. Now, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Well, I have a picture of what it could have looked like. We've had sermons on this before. The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box that was layered in gold. It was only four feet long. It was two feet wide and two feet high. And inside, it contained several objects, one of which were the Ten Commandments that were written in stone, etched in stone. But most importantly about this box, this Ark of the Covenant, it represented the presence of God. 
It's where they thought God lived, inside that box. And for that reason, no one uh, could ever touch it. It was the most sacred object on the face of the entire earth. If anyone ever touched it, they were struck dead. It was supposed to be carried, if you look at the picture, it has those poles, the priest were supposed to pick up those poles so no one would touch the box, and they would carry those poles on the shoulders of the priest. So let's go back to our story in 2 Samuel 5 and 6. After David defeats the Philistines who had stolen the ark, he decides to bring it back to Jerusalem where it belongs. Let's all give David a hand for doing that. So David organizes a worship parade, a worship celebration. He gathered 30,000 people for this parade. And in the course of the celebration, David put the ark on a cart. Remember, it was supposed to be carried by the priest. But he put it on an ark, uh, on a cart, and the oxen carried the, the cart, pulled the cart. And somewhere along the road, it hit a rock or a rut, or the, the road was slanted, that ark of the covenant began to fall. And uh, a man named Uzzah, this is in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. You can read it for yourself. A guy named Uzzah, as the ark begins to fall, he reaches out and he, he touches it and is immediately struck dead. So here at this parade, you've got the ark of the covenant and you got this guy laying dead right there next to it. It kind of rained on the parade, so to speak. And in this tragedy, we learn something about worship. We learn something about celebration. I had a pastor who once explained to me that there are four quadrants. Everybody say the word quadrant. There are four quadrants of worship. I put them on the back of your bulletin. If you grab your bulletin, look on and just turn it over to the back side. Here are the four quadrants. Quadrant number one, that you worship the wrong God in the wrong way. There's a lot of people doing that. Quadrant number two is you worship the wrong God in the right way. A lot of people doing that. Quadrant number three, you worship the right God, but you worship in the wrong way. Quadrant number four, which is what you want, is you want to worship the right God in the right way. Can someone say amen? amen? And what we learned from this story was that they were worshiping the right God, but they were worshiping in the wrong way. You see, the Ark of the Covenant, that box, represented the presence of God, but it also represented the holiness of God. And for believers, as we look towards God, there should be this sense of reverence in our worship, in our lives, in our hearts. God is not our buddy. God is not, you ever heard this phrase, the big guy upstairs. 
Like I pray to the big guy upstairs. I've heard people, many people say that. Well, God is not the big guy upstairs. He's certainly not in a box. And I want you to know that we cannot in our worship be like Uzzah and disrespect a holy God. When we enter into the worship service, we should come with clean hearts and clean hands and a sense of awe over the greatness of God and the holiness of God. And I will tell you this, if you come and truly worship God with all of your heart, with all of your heart, and you worship God with a pure heart, with reverence, you will leave with a peace and a sense of joy that is beyond description and no one can take away from you. I have three major points. Here's the first major point. Worship is first and foremost for God. We don't have worship services for you. Worship is for God. That's really why you should get here on time. You ought to be in here about five minutes early warming up your vocal cords. La, 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 la. Getting warmed up for it. Can someone say amen? We worship him for who he is, not for the things that he's done for us. We don't worship God when things are good and when things are bad. Well, I can't, I'm not going to go to church. God, God didn't take care of me. I'm not going to go worship him. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are here today worshiping the very same God that the Israelites believed lived in that box and that David worshiped. He is, he is just as holy. He is just as omnipotent. He is the creator. He is eternal. Back then, today, 3,000 years from now, the Bible says in Psalm 145, verse 3, great is the Lord and most worthy of our praise. His greatness, no one can fathom. I mean, I can't put my arms around God. I, I, I couldn't, ex you give me the greatest vocabulary of any person living on this earth, I could not adequately explain because no man can even fathom the greatness of God. And here we are with all of our money and all of our cars and all of our brains and all of our beauty and the very best that we can muster. We're just this little, tiny, 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 insignificant in compared to the greatness of God. No one can fathom the greatness of God. Think about God, his steadfast love. His faithfulness endures forever. His provision for you Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and the other seven, eight billion people on the face of this earth that God feeds every day. You breathe his air. You drink his water. You, you look at things that he has created. He's given you an ability to smell freshly baked bread. His, his perfection, his forgiveness, his salvation, his power, his goodness. Have you ever thought about his gentleness in your life? Tim Keller said that worship is seeing what God is worth and then giving him what he's worth. He is most worthy of our praise. Amen? Number two, passionate praise 
produces joy. Passionate praise produces joy. True worship does not produce long-faced, bored, out-of-their-minds, grumpy people. You ever come to church and meet a grumpy greeter? Oh, you can't sit there. You got to sit over here. Now, we have great greeters here at the church, but every once in a while I meet a grumpy one. And every once in a while there's a grumpy driver out there in that parking garage. And you might even be sitting next to somebody who's kind of grumpy today. Don't point to them. But do you know, honestly, when you come to church and really recognize who you are and the greatness of God and you empty self of everything and you're in here simply to give God praise and to give God glory that he is due, that it just changes you, you can't, you can't be grumpy and do that. There's something about the joy of the Lord that comes inside of you when you just decide you're going to praise God with everything you have. Amen? David is in this process of bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, and this guy named Uzzah reaches out and touches it and is struck dead. That's, that's quadrant number three. He was worshiping the right God, but he was worshiping the right God in the wrong way. David then takes a three-month, a three-month timeout for three months. He doesn't do anything with the Ark of the Covenant. He's trying to figure everything out. Look at verse 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel chapter 6. It says, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. For how long? For three months. A Gittite. Have you ever met a Gittite? They're a foreigner. That's a foreigner. And somehow the Ark of the Covenant ended up at a foreigner's house for three months. But notice what verse 11 says. The Ark of the Lord remained the house of Obadiah, Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. And what does that tell you? That's a whole nother sermon right there on the, on the subject of grace. That God's grace is for everyone. And all you have to do is invite the presence of God into your household, and God will bless your household if you'll invite him in that household. Whether you're an insider or an outsider, it's not about you being on the inside or the outside. It's about whether or not God is on the inside of your household. So then, verse 12, now King David was told that the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So after three months, David decides to give it another try. This is called parade number two. The first parade didn't end so well. This time, he's gonna, do, he's gonna worship the right God in the right way. And David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom uh, to the city of David with... Rejoicing. This time, this time, they're not going to put it on a cart, 
pulled by oxen because that's not what the Bible said they were supposed to do. This time, he's going to have the priest actually pick it up, the four of them or the five of them or however many it took. They were going to pick it up and carry it by the poles on the shoulders. Of, this time, he was going to do it the right way. Three things. Write them down quickly. Number one, true worship is sacrificial. I'll, I'll show you this. True worship is sacrificial. I want you to get this. Look at verse 13. Is this parade number one or parade number two? Is this quadrant one or is this quadrant three or quadrant four? This is quadrant number four. They're worshiping the right God, God in the right way. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, now, do you know how far it is from, uh, from, from the Gittites' house to Jerusalem? Seven miles. That's about the length of the San Fernando Valley. You're down there on Ventura Boulevard with the Ark of the Covenant, and you're going to carry it all the way to Porter Ranch. And you got the four priests, and you pick up the Ark of the Covenant. Last time they tried this, someone died because they touched it. Is everybody ready? Yes. All right, we're going to rejoice. We're going we're gonna to march the Ark of the Covenant back up there to Jerusalem. This is exciting. The, the Philistines stole this, and we're going to put God's presence back in the city of Jerusalem. Here we go. And they take six steps. One, two, three, four, five. Everybody stop. What they do after six steps, according to verse 13, when those who were carrying the ark, the Lord, had taken six steps, they stopped and they sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Now, there's a lot of theology in the Old Testament, sacrificial system. The Israelites were constantly making these animal sacrifices for the atonement of their sins. We know today, of course, that we live in the New Testament that Jesus Christ eventually goes to the cross and there he dies once for all time for the sins of all the world. And because Jesus died on that cross for our sins, we no longer have to make those animal sacrifices. Can someone say, thank you, God. But there is an element of divine truth that when we come to worship, that Jesus laid his life on the altar for us. And part of worship is when we come that we lay ourselves on the altar in response to what he's done for us. It, revol it, revol it involves sacrifice. I I'm telling you, to be a Christian, it involves a sacrifice of your time, of your talent, of your treasure. What if, what if, I'm just asking you, what if every six steps you took, you just stopped for a moment to just say, thank you, Lord? What if every six uh, minutes you stopped in a busy day to say, Lord, everything I have comes from you? 
What if every six hours baked into your schedule was a time for you to say a prayer and to spend some time reading God's word? What if every six days in a very chaotic world, you put everything aside that you had planned and get to the house of the Lord and simply spend a day worshiping Jehovah God? True worship is sacrificial. Write this down. True worship is physical. David's, uh, you know I, I know, I know we all know that there's a spiritual element to worship. We know that. But there's also a physical element. The Bible says in verse 14 that David was wearing a linen ephod that he danced before the Lord with all his what? His might. The word dance in this chapter is a Hebrew word, karar. It's only found twice in the entire Bible, that Hebrew word. Both times are in this chapter. And that word karar, David dance, karar, is a Hebrew word that means that he twirled. Okay? And so... A lot of people try to use this verse, should we dance, should we not dance? The Hebrew word is what? He twirled before the Lord, but it wasn't just any little twirl. He twirled with all his might. David was not embarrassed to worship God extravagantly and physically. He wasn't naked like some people say that he was dancing naked before the Lord, and he wasn't in his underwear. He was wearing an ephod, and if you study that and look that up, it's something that the Jewish priest wore. It was like a sleeveless vest, and so the picture is David, the king of Israel, he takes off of his, he takes off his kingly attire, and he wears this garment that was used by the priest. It's a picture of David humbling himself and worshiping God with all of his might. The Bible says in Mark 12, verse 30, that you and I are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, and we are to love the Lord God with all of our what? With all of our strength. And we worship God physically as well as the spiritual, everything is involved. We gather, we sing, we lift hands, we walk, we leap, we bow, we kneel, we clap, we praise, we shout. This scene in the Bible is a picture of someone who's not embarrassed, he's not ashamed, he's not afraid, he's not worried what other people are gonna think, he doesn't worry what he looks like, it's not about the clothes that he's wearing, it's not about looking a certain part, this is for God, God is a great God, and he was just a thankful child and a, a grateful servant, and that's what we ought to do, we ought to come to praise him and worship him and sing for him and clap for him and shout for him and maybe even twirl for him. And number three, worship, true worship, is being in the presence of God. 
It says there in verse 14 that David was wearing this linen ephod and he was twirling before the Lord with all of his might. Verse 15, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of the what? The trumpets. Many angles to the story, but the main point is this. God's presence was front and central to their worship. When you walked in here today, you need to know that God does not live in a little box. God does not live in this big box. God lives in your heart. The Bible says that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the moment you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that God places his spirit, the Holy Spirit, inside the heart of every single person. So you don't have to, you don't, you, my point is, you can worship God wherever, you don't come to church to worship, that you, were, you should be worshiping God wherever you are and whatever you're doing and wherever you're going because God is with you. And the Bible also says that you should not only be involved in personal worship, but we're called to corporate worship. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake the assembly. Some people say, well, I don't have to go to church. I, I worship God. I was out on the golf course the other day on the eighth hole, and I made a putt, and I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> no, that's golf. And I'm happy you made a putt, finally. But, but once a week, one day a week, every six days, you should be gathering together with other like believers in the process of corporate worship. I want you to write these three things down. Write them down as quickly as you can. Yet in worship, yes, there is celebration and there is sacrifice. There is rejoicing, but there's also a reverence. But there's also private and corporate. And it's not, listen, it's not one or the other, it's both. We're to be involved in both. Do you want 2021 to be better than 2020? Oh, maybe you didn't hear the question. Do you want 2021 to be better than 2020? Do you want to live another year in fear and despair? Do you want to experience an inexpressible and undefeatable joy, an invincible joy? Then I would say to you, live a life of worship. Be passionate in your praise. Be passionate in your worship. Read through the Word of God. Inside, we gave you this... Uh, Bible reading guide. On one side is the New Testament, on the other side is the Old Testament. You say, how does that thing work? Oh, it's very simple. When you're done reading a chapter, you just mark the box. And you can just keep that in your Bible. It might take you one year. You could do this, you could read through the Bible in, in about a month if you really set out to do it. Uh, but it, let's say it takes you two years. Just keep track and read through God's Word Listen to me, turn off the news, turn off, stop, stop spending so much time on social media and get your eyes in the Word of God. And make sure you're worshiping God, honoring God, revering God, 
And I guarantee you at the end of this year, this will be one of the greatest years of your life. Your life will be so different if you'll just begin to honor God in everything you do, but primarily in worship and praise. It just turns your joy levels way, way up if you'll start to do that, amen? In closing, this is maybe the most important part of this whole sermon. I want you to write this down. Worship is not for the proud. It's not for the proud. How many of you are still with me? You're still with me. Oh, listen, this is important. Do you know why people don't go to church? You know why they don't go? If you boil everything down, it's pride. Uh, I'm just too busy. I, I just really don't have time to go. You're too busy to worship the almighty God creator of the universe that you will stand before one day and he will judge the living. You're too busy for that. You're too busy. Okay. Well, my kids, we got soccer practice, and I, I got to get, you know, their roles are so lovely, we, I got to get them to soccer practice. Okay. I, I got to work. Well, we have church Saturday night and Sunday morning. Well, I got to do I can't, I can't, I, 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 I just don't feel like going. You don't feel like going. All those excuses all of it, you boil it down. You are on the throne of your life. You've removed God and placed yourself on the throne of your life. I'm telling you that everything in this life is fleeting. All the fame in the world, all the money in the world, it's fleeting. It's here one day, it's gone the next. It was really just about a year ago on a Sunday morning about this time that Kobe Bryant flew over this church in a helicopter taking his daughter to a basketball game. And that helicopter crashed on a Sunday morning. All that money, all that fame, all the whatever, here one day, gone the next. And I'm telling you, we spend all of our years on this earth pursuing the things of this world. And everything in this world is fleeting. The only things that matter are things that are eternal. And that's where worship comes in. You're never, you're never, ever going to have lasting joy pursuing the things of this world because the things of this world only leave you empty because the only thing that will satisfy the true longing of this heart is that personal relationship with God's Son. So, you know, once a week, you ought to be in here worshiping God. Now, now, God does not want you to live inside here. He wants you to get out of this salt shaker 
and go influence the world for Christ. But he does in the midst of this crazy, hectic world that we're living in, and you're here, and you're here, and you're here, and you're here, and you're here. Take a time out and get to the Lord's house and spend that time worshiping God and see if just walking in here and worshiping God doesn't recalibrate all the fear and all the despair that you experience out there in the world, you get back in here and it sets the course for the next week of your life, if you're so fortunate. Who, who was David? Who was David? Well, first of all, he was a protege. When he was just a little kid, they came and anointed him as the next king of Israel. And then he was a shepherd boy. He killed, this little teenager killed lions and bear, I mean real lions and real bears. He lived out in the hills, like, just like these hills here, the shepherd of the hills, except it was the Jerusalem hills. They look just the same. You can't tell them a different, apart from them. He lived up there killing lions and bears. And then he was a warrior. He was a man's man. They said Saul has slain uh, thousands. David has slain tens of thousands. Oh, he was a warrior. He defeated Goliath, the largest enemy in the land, with a slingshot. And if you read the whole story, after the rock hit Goliath in the head and he fell over, the Bible says David went over with a sword and cut his head off and his head rolled down a hill. And then David was sovereign. He was the king of Israel. And yet, when he finally had God's presence and back there in that city, what they call the city of God or the city of David, he didn't care what anybody thought. He was just going to worship with all of his might the living God. Now, he had a wife that was mad at everybody, including him. And she said, this is in the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 6, when David returned home to bless his household, and men, every man, I hope you're listening, when you come to church and you, you honor and worship God, you get to go home and be a blessing to your household. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. And then he said this in verse 22, you think you, think you saw me worshiping God? I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated even in my own eyes. He didn't care, he didn't care. Stop worrying what other people think and start worshiping God. Make this the year where you worship God. Let's stand. Let's stand. God, thank you for today. I do want to remind people off to my left, there's some doors. If anyone here 
has a decision after church, just run through those doors. There's some counselors over there, prayer request, you need to be baptized. Whatever's on your heart, just go, go through those doors to my left. God, I don't know why though, but we come to church so often and sometimes it's like, we're lucky we got here. Barely made it. <laughs> oh. The Lord must look at us sometimes and just shake his head. We got to look so silly. And what we need to do is to humble ourselves. bow before the living God and praise Him for every moment that He gives us air to breathe and a heart that beats and a mind that thinks. God, you have been so, so good to us. And forgive us for all the petty things that we worry about. And help us, God, to worship you with all of our soul, our strength, our mind. Lord, thank you for every man, for every woman, for every boy, and for every girl. And God, we're on a journey. This is just the start of the journey, but I want to take this church through a journey this year. And it begins with worship. It begins with understanding your greatness. It begins to understanding your holiness. It begins with understanding your presence. And may we humble ourselves, cast off anything that is a facade and simply twirl and dance and worship and praise. And as we get to that stage, God, may you fill our hearts with an inexpressible and undefeatable, invincible joy. I pray your blessing on every man, woman, boy, and girl, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you and thank you for coming to church today.